Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for joining. And uh, if you've got your Bible ready, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. We finished Acts chapter 3, where Peter shared his second sermon, uh, his first being on the day of Pentecost, where about 3,000 people came to Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit having worked a miracle through them in, their, in, in the group speaking in tongues and drawing attention, and Peter beginning to speak and to share the gospel, and there is response. In the second uh, uh, message that Peter gives, uh, he and John are walking uh, around the beautiful gate of the temple, and, uh, and, and, and they see a man there who is paralyzed, and they have no money to give this man, but they have something much better. And, they, and so they, they look at him intently, and, 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 uh, and Peter says to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man leaps up, and he is clearly healed miraculous thing. And people see it and recognize it. And they start to throng around the disciples, and uh, Peter and John, and around this man. As he's clinging to them, Peter begins to preach and to share with them about this Jesus whom you handed over, the Lord of life who you uh, had put to death. It is by his name and by power and the power of his name that this man is healed. And as Peter is laying out this second message, it is right in the midst of it that we find ourselves entering chapter 4, where it says, that And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, it's significant that the Sadducees are featured prominently here, because in the gospel period, uh, in, the, in the time of the gospels, when Jesus was, was ministering on the earth, uh, just a few months prior to this, uh, the Pharisees were kind of the prominent uh, antagonists, and uh, as as they would seek to quiet him, and ultimately uh, they they prodded the crowd to call for his crucifixion and that, uh, the Pharisees uh, were were particularly guilty of taking the word of God and making it a burden, of 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 making uh, the making it a burdensome thing for the people to want to follow God, and Jesus would often point out their hypocrisy, call them out, even laying woes upon them for this activity and behavior and mindset. And so they hated him, and so they sought to destroy him. And ultimately, of course, this was not outside of the design of God, but ultimately they, uh, they do uh, ultimately bring about his crucifixion uh, by going to Rome and, and, and pointing out that Jesus is not their king, and they have one king but Caesar and all this kind of thing. And so Jesus ultimately is crucified. Well, here after that, after the resurrection, after that period of time, all of a sudden here in this preaching, the Sadducees, uh, who were prominent in the Gospels as well, but all of a sudden here it's the Sadducees that have the particular problem with the preaching of the apostles. And the problem that they have is in that they do not believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in a spiritual realm. They don't believe in an eternal souls and those kinds of things. Instead, they believe uh, they're, they're, they're rather more on the materialistic side of things. They are uh, not of the same mindset when it comes to the question of resurrection like the Pharisees are. As a matter of fact, uh, one day the Sadducees come to Jesus and they come with a question that they think will completely confound him. And they say, we have a, a story to tell you. We're wondering what you think. There's a man who was married to a woman, and he died, and so his brother married her, and he died, and their brother married her, and this went on seven times until they all died. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? 
And they're thinking this is a ludicrous question because it's a ludicrous topic. There is no resurrection. And so they try to stump Jesus with this idea. In their minds, there is no resurrection. And Jesus says, you don't understand the scriptures. Okay? You don't know what you're talking about. In heaven, people are like the angels. They're not married nor given in marriage. They're like the angels. And so he acknowledges there is a resurrection. And on top of that, he claims to know what it's like there. And so the Sadducees are incensed with him then, and now here the Peter and John are exp- expressing the, uh, explaining the resur- talking about the resurrection and preaching the resurrection, and all of a sudden the Sadducees come and and the word there of, of of that they came upon them. The idea there is that of kind of seizing them. They came upon them suddenly, clearly with the intention of quieting them. Along with them, of course, the priests, the captain of the temple, which is sort of the uh, the one who is in charge of making sure that Gentiles don't go into areas that are specifically for Jews and that sort of uh, kind of like a security in a sense. Um, and, and so they're gathered around the disciples and they arrest them. In verse 3 it says, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So in other words, they spent their night in the, in the clink, in the slam. And, uh, and so, but that being said, verse 4 Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so the gospel continues to have impact, and more and more people are getting saved. And so Peter and John spend the night in jail, but verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders with the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with uh, with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. So uh, Annas and Caiaphas... We know them from the Gospels. Caiaphas is Annas's son-in-law. Annas was high priest during the time, uh, during the earthly ministry, the early um, uh, uh, part of Jesus' life, uh, from about 6 to 15 AD. And then he was taken down by Rome or deposed by Rome, and Rome put Caiaphas in charge. Now, a number of Annas's sons also ended up serving as high priest, um, but Caiaphas figures prominently, as does Annas in the Gospels. If you'll remember, when Jesus was arrested, these sort of mock trials that took place among the, uh, the leadership of Israel, the, the elders in Israel, um, they went to Annas because he was the power sort of behind the priesthood. Uh, much uh, many in Israel still sort of saw Annas as the legitimate high priest, even though Rome had deposed him. But they recognized legally that Caiaphas was the high priest, and so they sought Annas's counsel on how to go about this. And then they ultimately had to turn to Caiaphas because if anything was going to be done with Jesus, it would have to be through Rome's, um, you know, the one that Rome had put in charge uh, in that uh, department in, in terms of the priesthood. And so, and interestingly, if you remember, Caiaphas unwittingly sort of prophesies about uh, Jesus' death for the nation. Uh, He's not, of course, thinking in terms of sin being paid for or anything like that, but rather he's simply talking about Jesus being handed over and being punished by Rome so that the nation will be left alone. This was a legitimate fear of the Jews under Roman occupation, Roman rule during uh, during that time in that part of the world. Uh, Israel was not, strictly speaking, free. They were given a lot of freedom under Rome, but they were not free to exercise justice fully as they would uh, otherwise have been able to. Hence, they needed Rome to crucify Jesus. Um, 
And so, uh, so they are concerned about Rome, and so they, Caiaphas says it's better for one man to die for the people, did not realizing that he was actually speaking uh, prophetically. Jesus wasn't just going to die to protect them from Rome, but he in fact was dying for all people and for sin. Uh, and so we see Annas and Caiaphas there during Jesus' ministry and ultimately assenting to his death. Well, here we are a few months later, and here's Annas and Caiaphas again being consulted about what to do with Peter and John. And so all this group gathers together. No doubt there's an intimidation factor at play here. We, did, we, we ended your master. Think about what we're going to do to you is probably what they're thinking here. But as they gather around to talk about these things, and, and by the way, John and Alexander, we don't know anything about John and Alexander biblically. This is the only place they're mentioned. We're not talking about John the Gospel writer or John the Baptist or anything like that. And Alexander, um, there is another Alexander mentioned, Alexander the coppersmith, but it is likely that the Alexander the coppersmith it's kind of a good rap name today, right? Alexander the Coppersmith, the Coppersmith or something. But anyway, uh, likely that distinction is made so as not to be confused with other Alexanders, maybe even including this one. Uh, it may very well be that these are among Annas's sons or something like that, but we don't know a lot about them. Uh, but we do know Annas and Caiaphas, and of course the elders are gathered around, the rulers are gathered around, uh, in verse 6, uh, with all of those in the high priestly family. And verse 7, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? The miracle that had been performed. And of course, by extension, in whose name are they preaching? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit and some of the ministry that the Holy Spirit would be about in their lives uh, later. And one of the things that Jesus teaches them, in particular in that passage, he teaches them that in the days that you find yourself standing before kings, magistrates, leaders, uh, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And here we see an example of this happening. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, who, like John and the rest of the disciples just a few months ago, was hiding in an upper room, scared for their lives because, after all, their master had been crucified, now he stands emboldened. He and John stand before them, and Peter is now filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to preach to these folks that he was scared to death of just a few months earlier, and who, in by and large, in at least a practical human sense, have the power to have him killed and have him put to death. But Peter's not afraid anymore. He's not nervous about this. And we begin to see this characteristic of Peter in, in the book of Acts as it continues to unfold, that sort of um, rough kind of shoot first, ask questions later kind of a mindset in the, in, in, in the time when he followed right after Jesus. And then now it's, he's, he's, he's collapsed under his, uh, under his betrayal, not his betrayal, but his denial uh, of Jesus uh, around the campfire with those who questioned him, and uh, and then living in the fear of his own life after Jesus' crucifixion, confused over what's going on, now the Holy Spirit has empowered him, and he has absolute clarity, and he begins to speak to them with no reservation, no hesitation, and absolutely no fear. Listen to what he says. It's 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 wonderful and it's dramatic. Uh, verse eight again. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. 
rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, or this one, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is a salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so Peter, unambiguously, just straight shot, lets them know what's going on here. He doesn't say, well, you know, God's working. No, no, this Jesus, whom you crucified, whose death you were responsible for. This is the one who has made him well. Now, he's been preaching about the resurrection, so they know that these guys think Jesus is alive. And of course he is. Even the Pharisees and scribes, uh, the leaders and such, they know that the, the, the story of his resurrection is starting to get out because they, you know, when they went to Pilate and they said, put, we want a guard to put around the, the tomb and everything because, you know, they're going to steal the body and they're going to make this, next deception worse than the first. At the end of Matthew, we see this. And so um, they couldn't produce the body. If, you know, if if in fact Jesus was dead and didn't raise, rise from the dead, one of the easiest ways to demonstrate that would have simply been to produce the body. And that's just one of the many, 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 many evidences of the fact that Jesus is alive. It's one of the most attested facts, well-attested facts of ancient history. And Peter was there to recognize the Lord after his resurrection, and now he's preaching that he's alive. And that it is not only that he's alive, but he's active. It is by the name of Jesus. It is through Christ himself that this man is now whole. This Christ, this Jesus, who is the cornerstone spoken of in Psalm 118, Jesus spoke of this himself when talking to the leaders. He talked about the chief cornerstone, and Peter was saying, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. You guys should have known that, essentially, is what he's implying there. He's preaching from the word to them. They're experts in the word. They're supposed to know these things, but Peter does not hold back. And he lets them know not only is he the chief cornerstone, but that there is salvation in no other name than Jesus. Wow. Okay. Now, the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the leaders, the priests, all of those who are gathering and are weighing in on this, um, what Peter just said uh, is heresy to them, you know? But Peter is unabashed, and he bases his belief, his understanding of the truth of the gospel, the message of salvation is rooted in the fact that Jesus is alive, and he knows it. And so he's letting them know it. Now we're going to read um, the next section next time, for time's sake. But... Um, but this, this, there is so much in chapter 4 here that is uh, significant for us to get our minds around. The power of the Holy Spirit giving us what we need in the moment of witness. Now, that doesn't mean we don't study. It doesn't mean we don't spend time in the Word of God and, and around believers sharpening our faith. Um, but in the moment where we should be most likely to cave and collapse, if we will stand and will rely on the Lord and the Holy Spirit to empower us and give us what we need to say, we should not be surprised when he delivers. And when it comes to bearing a witness for Jesus, a testimony for Christ, 
Um, a firm reliance on the Holy Spirit is wise and necessary. And Peter demonstrates this, going from, again, a time when he was scared to death to a time when he is now boldly preaching the truth of the resurrected Christ. And also, uh, in closing, I'll just kind of bring a thought here, too. Um, you know, when Peter talked about the cornerstone, and again, they should have understood these things, right? Um, there is a danger that the Pharisees personify, uh, not just the Pharisees, but the priests, the Sadducees, all of those who might be students of, of, of the Bible in some way. In our day, maybe not students of the Bible, although there are scholars that, uh, that know the Bible well, per se, but they don't necessarily know the person that's at the heart of the word. Uh, if you remember in John chapter 5, um, Jesus condemned the Pharisees because he said that they study the scriptures because it's in them that they think they have eternal life, but it is those scriptures that speak of him. It is possible, as the old adage goes, to be 18 inches from heaven. Uh, the, the idea of knowing about Jesus and knowing some things about him, but that's different than believing him in, with our hearts, putting our absolute trust in him. Uh, not just acknowledging that maybe he lived or was a great teacher or miracle worker or some such thing. Um, he was so much more than that and really did not leave it to us to be content with the idea that he was just simply a good teacher uh, or a miracle worker per se. Uh, as C.S. Lewis would say, the things that Jesus said and did and such to verify and to make claims to his deity and all these things, you know, he did not really leave us the option of just saying he was a good teacher. He was either someone who was a deceiver, a liar, who was on par with Satan, just trying to deceive people, or with saying the things he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I and the Father are one, and, and all these, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, and all these things. Um, nobody says those things, um, uh, you know, unless they're lying, or maybe they're crazy, a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis would go on to say, somebody who was sort of on the level of a poached egg, as he put it, the idea that he was so crazy that he thought these things were true, but they weren't. Or you would say these things if, in fact, they were true. And as C.S. Lewis would finish that thought, he's either a liar, a liar, a lunatic, or he is, in fact, the Lord that he claimed to be. And, um, of course, from Peter's perspective and John's perspective and all the disciples' perspective and Paul's perspective and all of those through the centuries that have come to uh, bear witness to the resurrected Christ, we know that he is, in fact, the latter. He is the Lord. And so um, don't be satisfied to know about Jesus and stop there. It's important that we know him, that we put our trust in him, that we know him like we know a friend, that we get to know him better every day, the living Lord Jesus. So, Father, we just want to come before you and thank you that uh, your son has come for us, ultimately to set us free from our sin, and one day will come for us and bring us home. And the reason we'll be able to go home and be in heaven is because he took care of paying for our sins, wiping away the debt, the handwriting of transgressions that was against us, has nailed them to the cross. And we just are so thankful, and we rejoice in that knowledge that we are now accepted in the Beloved we are free from the penalty of our sin, and we are invited as sons and daughters to come and to dwell with you, to know you, and, and to have relationship with you. 
So thank you for this, Father. Help it to never be a common thing for us. Help it to never be a a small thing for these things to be true, but help them to overwhelm us. Help these ideas and thoughts to consume and captivate our hearts and be the fuel that fires our faith, to be that which undergirds our testimony and our witness, to be that which washes us perpetually cleaner and cleaner on the inside, uh, Father, in our thoughts and our, our, our desires and our worldviews and everything, and even finds its way out in uh, through the expression of the way we live our lives, Father. Let those thoughts, the knowledge of Jesus and what he's done for us, your love for us, and the power of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us, let that change us from the inside out. And Father, we love you and thank you. We admire our first century brothers who uh, who began to perpetuate the gospel and to make it known. And we, Father, are those who continue to carry the torch. We are part of that great cloud of witnesses uh, that, that, that bring the truth to the world around us. So help us, Father, to recognize our place in this and not to shy away from it, but rather to lean on the Holy Spirit's power to bring that message to the world. We love you, we thank you, and praise you, and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, feel free to comment if you like or if you have questions or anything like that. You're always welcome to, to do so on our YouTube channel. You're free to do so in our uh, 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 in the comments section, you can also send an email to me from our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com or from my uh, personal website at parsonspad.com where we post these videos as well. And um, by all means, if, if, uh, if you need a Bible, let us know that. We'll make sure we get one to you. Uh, one of my good friends is with the Gideons. We support the Gideons because their ministry is so simple and beautiful, just getting the scripture out into the hands of people. And so if you are in need, we will get you a Bible. And not only that, but I, I, if, uh, I think there is, he's got the technology. I don't know if it's on a thumb drive or a DVD or something like that, but we can get you a copy of the scriptures in that format in, what, in your language. Uh, I forget how many languages are on there, but, but we can get one to you in your language. Um, and a viewer in South Africa actually has told me recently that they are with the Gideons down there. So if you're anywhere in that part of the world, let me know, and I might be able to hook you up with a copy of the scriptures that we can send you from there. So uh, that's exciting. The whole idea of having access to the word and being able to send it out where it's needed is a beautiful thing. And so if you need a copy, let us know that. Again, send me an email at, uh, at either our parsonspad.com website or at our calvarychapelfranklin.com website. And, um, but God bless you until we meet again and we continue in the word. And uh, again, we study the book of Acts because we're living in a time when we would do well to learn from the, whole, from the first century church's reliance on the Holy Spirit to do the work that he's called us to do. So God bless you. We'll catch you next time.